You're listening to the Scottish Football Forums podcast, the home of Scottish football banter. Hi, welcome to the latest episode of Scottish Football Forums podcast, season 10, episode 60. I'm John and tonight joined by Donald. How are you doing? How are you doing, John? Pleased to be on again, been a wee while since Aye. I've been on. Good to get you back on. Six weeks or so, but uh, yeah, good to be back on. Um, so I, since you were last on, I, there's been plenty going on, but even since the last time we had a podcast, there's been a lot going on. So Neil Lennon, left Celtic. Neil Lennon's gone, yes. Uh, St. Johnson won the League Cup for the first time in the history. Yeah, yeah. Rangers won the League title. Yeah. Um, and breaking tonight, where it's not been confirmed by the club, but uh, by all accounts, Derek McInnes has left Aberdeen or been sacked by Aberdeen, yeah. it seems. So, yeah, well, I, that's that's the big one, obviously, that's came through today. Um, surprised. Uh, although, I'm surprised at the timing more than anything. I, I think a lot of people, including Aberdeen fans, yourself included, and other ones I've spoken to, um, were kind of thought he was going to go in the summer. Uh even even the ones that's maybe pro McInnes, there's been quite a lot of obviously people that's sort of anti and has been, it's been growing the sort of frustration and in, in his over in the last sort of year or two um, even the ones that you can see that have, have been pro pro Derek McInnes were probably talking and saying yeah he's probably going to go in the summer but it's, it's a wee bit of a surprise for him to go just now and as you say if it's true that he's been sacked rather than uh, leaving or mutual consent. Or... Uh, yeah, I, th- I mean, I think we, we've had a few discussions this season about how their form has obviously not been great recently, the last few months. And even maybe before, there's been kind of murmurs about is he the right man for the job still? Was it maybe the club stagnated under him and different things like that? I've got a mixture of emotions because he, he had such a good start. The first, you'd say, five years or so, it was terrific. Um, obviously, won the League Cup final, pushed Celtic for the, the League One season. And maybe if the board had backed him a wee bit that January, I think, potentially in uh, Ronnie's Isles last season, I think maybe we could have won the league, actually. Yeah. Um, but then his record <laughs> against maybe Celtic in big games get questioned a lot of the time. Um, yeah, that's been the major point, hasn't it? The record I, against Celtic, when you look at it, has been very, very poor. As I don't think there's ever quite been a belief that we can beat them. There has been the odd time that we've beaten Celtic, but yeah. the likes of the big games and the big turning point for me, anyway, was uh, the 2017 Scottish Cup final. Um, and then the sucker puncher, we call it the R, the R bomb, the R bomb button now because Tom Rogers comes up with the goods and scores a goal, and you're broken hearted. And I think sometimes at that, I think probably actually for a lot of fans at that time, maybe they thought maybe that was a time for him to go that he'd kind of run his course at Aberdeen. I felt that was a bit harsh, but even other times we got to semi finals and finals and just. Couldn't quite go over the line. Um, there'll be a an accusation that he never did enough. He should have won more trophies. But there was a spell when we were getting to finals against Celtic and under Rodgers. Yeah, exactly. It was they were pretty it was much Yeah, they were pretty much invincible. Yeah, Aberdeen were the they were they had that wee spell where they were the best of the rest. They were, and, and they were, and they were, they weren't massively ahead of the rest, but they there was a, they were they were ahead of them um, for a good couple of years, was it? And, and as you say, every cup final was, was almost Celtic versus Aberdeen. Aye, because it's been about finished second, obviously, what, four years in a row? Yeah. Um, 
and people maybe say, oh, at one point Rangers was in the league, but once even when Rangers got back into the league, it took a bit of time for Rangers to over, overcome Aberdeen. Aye, uh, aye. It wasn't until maybe a couple of seasons ago. And, that, and we actually had a good record under, against Rangers when uh, Gerard first took over and different things like that. You look at this season, nowhere later on in the season, it looked like there'd been a change in terms of style of football back to what we were like when he first came in, like attacking football and we were looking really good as a team. And then it's amazing how things can change over the space of maybe a month or two. Because yeah. that was maybe October kind of time. Things were looking maybe good again. Folk had started to think, right, maybe, maybe he's all right. Maybe stay in the job. Um, and then just this year's been disastrous. It's performance been terrible. Can he score goals? I know the goals, the goal scoring things, and it's, and it's dried up. And I think the sad thing will be as a fan, like fans were starting to make, kind of turn on him as such. I, I, I think he did well. Just aye, there is that. You think he maybe could have won more trophies, but there's also the consideration of where we were before he came in. Yeah, uh, but. You strive to do better. Aberdeen are an ambitious club. They want to do well, and and that's the big thing. He was untouchable under Milne. Milne would never have got rid of him. I don't think. I think it'd been very hard for that to happen. Aye, aye, um, I think so. Whereas yeah. the talk is maybe the relationship with Cormac and him isn't quite so good. Um, whether that's true or not, you don't know. It's media speculation. But yeah, by all accounts, he's he's going to die. And I've seen some folk. It's my mate. He's a Rangers fan. Fan, mind you, he might just be trying to wind me up, saying that Neil Lennon's getting linked with the job. Um, <laughs> That, that was on that was on Twitter when before we came on here. I did see that quite a few people mentioned, but I think a lot is tongue in cheek. I think uh, so too. Um, I, I can't uh, no, I can't see that to be honest. If, I think Lennon will take a step step away from football for a wee while. Um, yeah, and if he does get back, I think he'll want to try and prove he's all down south again because it didn't work at Bolton. Yeah. I think he's done. He's done everything that he can in Scotland. Now he's he's never going to go to another club. I suppose Aberdeen might be the only one if he was to go anywhere. Well, aye. He's, been, he's been at Hibs and and sell, if he wanted to go to one club and try and pro- improve and and well, that's got potential, um, then the Aberdeen is the number one choice. But having not done anything, failed at Bolton, really, um, although it was financially restrained quite a bit there, but. I think he he'll want to go back down south. I kind of see him staying here. Yeah, similar with McInnes. I like we spoke Scott and me. I think it was spoke a few weeks ago about it. I couldn't I think McInnes having another job in Scotland, and I think his stock is now lower in no. terms of that. In England, he wouldn't get a Championship club. I don't think even just now. No, uh, I, I think, think if you yeah, if you went back down south, you're talking maybe top level League One. Uh, you know, if he was, if I, I can't think of any clubs in the championship, no, it, it, it's sort of sticking out at the top of my head at the moment. They would say, you would say, oh, yeah, he's a fit oh, at that yeah. type of club. Um, some of the definitely teams someone are, that likes a pragmatic manager because that's what he's turned into. And he, he, he wasn't like that at the start of Aberdeen, he was quite offensive, but over the last few seasons, it's been more about no conceding as opposed to. That's why things have turned as well. If, if, you can accept maybe sometimes no worrying if you're playing maybe entertaining football when you're it looks like you're getting it your all, but when it goes you're getting to certain games, it looks like there's not much effort getting made of what's happening with tactics. I think tactics was a big thing. The accusation was like what what do they do in the training ground? Um Cosgrove was a big mess for him. It was, it was yeah. but 
it's been the, the goals up front for Aberdeen's been a bit over the last. Well, I'm just going, looking at from my point of view, seems to has never been consistency, or, or it's always looked to me as if yeah he's decent, but you could get more out of him, or they've turned to this guy and it's no what. It's turned to that guy and it's no what. Partnerships have never really worked. Um, there's never there's not been a lot of partnerships, but maybe with one man up front. Um, Aye, he likes a big man up front. That was aye, aye, it's always he been... was the guy originally. Really was terrific for us, but he he had his time. He was on the, the slide, and then I suppose we had a couple of projects. We had Stockley in at one point. I quite liked Stockley. Aye, but I think Stockley was maybe a bit forced out because he was a wee bit raw, and maybe he was the kind of old-fashioned strike, uh, striker that kind of leaps with the elbows or you jump. You know what I mean? I don't think he was aye. a malicious player. Aye, I think he was just that was his, his style. He was a bit awkward. Um, and then Cosgrove came in, which was a gamble. I mean, we signed him for next to nothing. Um, and then eventually turned into being a, a good goal don't scorer. Yeah, whether, he's a good, whether he's a good striker, I don't know, but he, he was scoring goals. Um, helped by a lot of penalties at times, but, um, but good, good money for him, good money for McKenna. I suppose when you look at the players that we've lost over the years, the likes of Ryan Jack, Shinny, yeah. Klein, all really difficult players to the place. Aye, for nothing. But that, no and for... then... Yeah, like so we brought back McGinn and Hayes. I don't think it's what worked out second time round. First time round they were flying, they were brilliant. You two of them and Paula. Um and behind Rooney was terrific. Aye, aye. Um but yeah, he did bring as a cup win. No, that's one thing. Um in the League Cup. Strange day because the final was dreadful and it was more relief when we won. Um but yeah. As I say, mixed emotions. I think it is right. I think it's the right decision um, that he moves on. And I hope, I kind of hope in a way, like things don't end up selling in the media, but you know what I mean? Between the club and him or whatever. Aye, aye, aye. I don't it's think he will. No, I don't think, I think so. He had a big commitment to the club and I think he, he did fight the club. Obviously, as well, the, when Rangers came in, I think a lot of fans were not happy with the way he kind of, as if he kind of flirted with him and he went away to have a think about things. But, it was probably a difficult decision at the time for him. Um, aye, aye. He does, did decide in the end to stay with Aberdeen. So. It'll be interesting to see what, where it goes now. I mean, the the, the, the big um, big selling points in the new stadium for any manager coming in. Obviously, he's, got, he's going to look at funds, what the situation with regards funds would be. But, I mean, it's a massive job that will have a lot of people putting their they're all in and their CV in um, and it, it all depends on what kind of route that Cormac wants to go down does it there's no off the top of my head there's no it's going to probably be a foreigner I don't think of another Scotsman uh, yeah oh, it's difficult to think just now whether it will maybe be someone outside the box but it's a more attractive job than it was when McInnes came in it was I have ah, made it more yeah you hear about the players and all that, and there's always a talk about how great the team spirit is within the dressing room and stuff like that. So it's a good dressing room to come into, you think. And there is good, there's good players there. They just maybe need fresh ideas. That's it. Yeah, uh, that's I it. I suppose there's still maybe the hope that we could maybe still get third place. I don't know. Hibs are stumbling along. Big game just tomorrow night. Hibs. Aye. Hibs have got their game in hand tomorrow night against, is it tomorrow or Wednesday? Um, against Ross County, I think. Um, if they win that, Hibs go six seven. clear. Nice, six or seven clear. Which well, there's only five games left after that, so there's a big, big ask. 
That's the way. But if they wanted to win it, then third place is still there. Yeah, that's interesting. But that, that's it. It's now official now. He has left. Has it? Aye. Um, I don't know if the club have come out with a statement, but it's on the BBC website now. All ah, right. Aye, official now. With yeah, that no, seems to be. Yeah. And in the same token, in the, the next uh, article beside it, John Collins saying that the Celtic role would interest him. I don't know if that's a manager role or whether it's some kind of director of football role. But All right. right. Director, director of football role as opposed to the manager because there's no way he'd get a manager job. No, no, I think um, <laughs> that would be that would be very, very left field. <laughs> Aye. Uh, but obviously I spoke about Lennon. He's, we've no been on since uh, you left. No, like, no, that again. Didn't come as a great surprise. No, again, no great surprise. Maybe slightly that, that it's happened before the end of the season because reading obviously we don't know the full workings of what happens in the in the boardroom, but what you were looking and reading in the media, he was digging his heels in, um, and it was basically, I'm not going, I'm not going, I'm not, I'm not getting pushed, and the, and the, the murmurs for the board were, they seemed to be quite happy. They were, there was none, nothing coming out saying that oh, we're going to sack him or. Or anything else, so it was it was slightly out the blue that he, you knew he was going to go in the summer, uh, but a little bit earlier than. But again, the same sort gives Celtic same as Aberdeen now. It gives them more time to to look for their replacements. Yeah, and again, it'll be interesting to see who comes in there. I don't know what approach they'll take down, but by all accounts, they are going to have some kind of director of football in there. And ah, it seems to be they're going to go there. Head coach, whatever. Um, don't, yeah, it'll be, it'll be interesting to see There's a big overhaul at Celtic probably as well um, So the new coach Whoever it is that comes in Is probably Not going to have Edward Ayer um, Christie Elianusi will go back to his club yeah. um, Some other players in there uh, Brown maybe retire Yeah Yeah they could put so it's it's quite they're going to be quite a big for the first time in a while. You'll see a quite a big turnover of players. New manager coming in will obviously want to his uh, bring in his own players as well, uh, and some of the players that are still there that haven't sort of hit uh, set the ground running like Barkas, the goalkeeper, um, maybe play even players like Greg Taylor, Laxalt, Will he stay? Yeah. Um, and you wonder whether some of them will want to like gear, give it a go down south, or whether they'll have the hunger to try and get the title back. Yeah. The title. Yeah. Uh, so it'll be, it'll be it'll be complete this time at the start of next season. I think you'll see quite a difference in the Celtic team that's finishing this season to the one that starts next season. Yeah. Be interesting to see if anything ever comes out about what did go on because. There's no way that Celtic team became just a bad team overnight. No, it doesn't seem to be. There's there's it's... been friction there, and there's been some animosity of some sort that, that's uh, that's caused that. Because I mean, as as the players that you've named, I mean, Edward on his day is top class. He, um, potentially world class, I think Edward. Yeah, Ayer is a really really good centre half. Um, he's kind of went off the boil a wee bit the last wee while, but when he's on his game. Yeah. Um, he's a very, very good centre-half. Callum McGregor's another one who's been off the ball quite a wee bit for the last maybe 
18 months he's been off the ball quite I think he's obviously been one of Lennon's sort of same as Scott Brown he's, he, he trusts him and he, even off, off off his game he's still going to get a start but the boy's a better player than, than what he's showed uh, David Tumble's a class player he's, he's Celtic's best, best player by far at this moment in time Ryan Christie's a better player than, than what he's showed recently um, again, he's went off the boil massively. Yeah, I think the big thing is whoever comes in needs to get a bit of balance to that squad because that's the thing that's been sad for lack in that season for them. They've had no width in their team. They've relied on maybe their wing backs for width. James Forrest has been a miss. He's been a massive miss. I said that as well. Like I think he's one of those players that's maybe not quite appreciated as much as. No, I think a lot of Celtic players and and looking at uh, from other fans, the other teams, I I've, I never really rated them. To be fair, he was a decent player, but I didn't think he was that great. But when you look at him, it's more safe for Scotland as well. Um, you've seen the impact of the, how he's missed in the Scotland team. Yeah. Um, the, up up until the last uh, six months, a year ago, um, playing for Scotland, he, he was almost he was one of Scotland's best players. Uh, and as you say, um, he's, he's been a big miss for Celtic. Yeah. I don't know as well currently who the favourite is for the Celtic job. Um, Eddie Howe's been in the running. Um, Rafa Benitez, they were the they're the two names that's. Um, they still the two. I think Howe will win another job in England. I think. I, I think so. Newcastle. I think he might be waiting. Newcastle might come up sooner rather than later. Uh, Crystal Palace. Well, I think Crystal Palace definitely are going to change in the summer. Roy Hodgson will step aside a little bit so they'll be looking for a manager um, How could be a good fit for Newcastle actually Yeah it could be yeah, I, I, Benitez as well Andre Villas-Boas has been linked with Celtic his name's uh, that could yeah. be some that could be somebody that's got a bit of pedigree about him um, and he's one of the one, he's a manager now that uh, how would I put it he's one it puts you sort of in the, the market now for any jobs that's coming up. Um, he's, been, he's been at quite a few clubs, but successful at some, not successful at others. But he's still got his, he's still got that status about him, being ex-Tottenham, ex-Chelsea, um, that it would be a big name. He's still a big name, even although he's been about quite a bit now. Um Bit of baggage about him, mind you, but yeah, there's some unrealistic names, though. I cannot see uh, Martinez taking the job. No, I don't think he'll never leave Belgium. Sean Maloney, though, Sean Maloney coming in, um, he's been spoken about. It could be similar to the Gerard situation getting into Rangers. He's now been he's been a coach for quite a wee while now. Um, yeah, he talks well, he's been about a, the game, certainly. Aye, and, and he seems to be. Anytime I've listened to him on the, on the television and whatever else, he's he's got quite a bit of knowledge. He seems to be, um, I mean, working with Belgium, he's working with, well, near enough, the best team in the world. Um, um, could could he come in and do a job as coach under, as you say, a director of football? Um, and he might be able to still keep his job, isn't it? Because it's the number two, obviously, uh, yeah. with Belgium. So there's a potential of carrying on. He yeah. comes in as he comes in as the main coach, and he brings in somebody um, as a, as his number two. That's 
a wee bit more experienced. Yeah. Uh, Aye, not a good good shout. I've seen one as well that was mentioned, which I think it's a recent name that's been added to them. That's Angel Maresca, who's the Man City youth coach. He's under 20. He's second favourite now for the job. Right, that could be. That's a bit left field, but yeah. I think he's... He's played quite a bit of British football. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, although he's Italian, I think he's actually spent most of his career in Britain. Um, I think West Brom, I think, if I'm right, was one of his Aye, teams. Yep, yeah. Nottingham Forest. Uh, yeah, that could be, that could be. Well, certainly working with fantastic talent there, so that could be a step up. Oh, that could be an interesting one. Uh, so often we mentioned that St. Johnson winning the Cup for the first time in the history. We had Nori on uh, prior to it, who was um, excited about it, even though it was obviously such a strange situation without any fans. I only managed to catch some of the game because I ended up going out for a walk and never got back quite in time. Hey. But, uh, I would say, from what I've seen, it was fully deserved. Tight game, yeah. but I do feel that St. Johnson uh, had Livingston's number on the day. They had I just watched the, Yeah, I only watched the highlights. I, I wasn't able to watch the full game. Um, and from what I saw... It was your typical cup final involving two teams that probably at the start of the tournament when they maybe they wouldn't have thought they would be playing at either each other. Um, so it was cagey. Um, they weren't. They were kind of. They both. They both um, hard teams to beat anyway in any normal circumstances during the league. They don't concede an awful lot of goals. Um, they're not free flowing football, but. Uh, they're, they're decent teams, they're, they're good, um, hard-working, but uh, you could tell that some of the players on both teams, for, for, the, for the highlights I saw anyway, um, they were they kept it in themselves a little bit, as they were a wee bit, they, the goal was quite early, mind you, you yeah. thought well, that could that could open up a bit more, but again, it still kept it so quite tight, um, chances were quite few and far between, but overall, for what I saw, St. Johnson deserved to win. Aye. Uh, mm-hmm. I think Livingston, Livingston went off the boil at right at the wrong time. Yeah. Um, and the lead up to the actually, when they've qualified for the final, they were the, apart from Rangers, probably they were the, the informed team yeah. in the dual division. And then all of a sudden, they've went in a run of games where they've just failed to win. Um, not been playing well and then the cup final has just came at the worst time and they just couldn't get into that if they'd been in there were no sort of form no rhythm and you could see that in the play I know definitely and the thing is as well they've got an outside chance still a top six um, St Mirren are only two points ahead going into the last game yeah the, tomorrow night tomorrow night's two games I think they'll actually play a massive part. Uh, I had a wee look at the league table earlier, actually, and uh, I think there's the two games in hand. It's Hibs-Ross County, and is it Livingston-Hamilton? That's the other game. Uh, that's that's championship. must be Wednesday. Because the last set of fixtures before the split is in two weeks' time. Yes, that's the last one. Yeah. Uh, uh, do, 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 do. That and the last because the last game St Mirren go away to Hamilton uh, and St John's at home to Ross County, uh-huh. which is difficult for us just to predict at the moment. Yeah, you're looking at 
Livingston in 40, St Mirren 39, St Johnston 37, Dundee United 36. So it's any two from four. But obviously Livingston have that game in hand. Um, I think Livingston will be all right. Yeah, they're at home to Hamilton. Obviously Hamilton struggling to stay up, so it's not a gimme. And and Livingston not in the greatest of form, as we've said recently. Um, But they'll probably see that as win this one, we're in the top six, and then they can relax a little bit in the last game against Hibs. Yeah. Before the split. Aye. The other end of the table, um, it's not looking good for Kamarnik. We put out a poll at the moment, but just still got a day left to run on it. But as it stood, there was around about 50% of folk think out the bottom four, it'll be Kamarnik that go down, which yeah, I kind of agree with because they're not used to being down there. How about no know how to escape? Ross County are picking up results. Yeah. Other way, I think they're fine. Right. To be honest, I only put them in because there was, before the weekend, they were. I think only maybe four points clear of Kilmarnock. Yeah, it's, it's any two or oh, three, I think. Aye, aye. Uh, well, any any one to one of three to go down, and obviously the other one for the playoff. Um, and as you say, Ross County and Hamilton have been in that situation before, um, both surviving and going down, whereas Kilmarnock haven't. And the thing is with Kilmarnock as well, they're in they're in free fall. Mm-hmm. They don't look as if they're going to get a win. Um, whereas Ross County and Hamilton, although they're still in there, they're nicking wee wins here and there. They might go, they might lose two on the bounce, but the following week they might grab a win. Mm, yeah. And then they might lose again the following week. Um, or they might grab a couple of draws and a, and a defeat. They're all they both seem to be picking up points. Um, whereas in Commandant's case, um it's defeat after defeat after defeat. They're not they're not picking up any draws um at all to Aye, there's no manager bounce. Like usually, no. maybe get some kind of reaction. Whereas at the moment, it's aye, it's, it's not been. I'm lo- yeah, I'm looking at it here, and one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. One point from the last ten games. Come on, lost nine, drew one. The last victory was in the 9th of January at home to Hamilton two 0 um, and since that they've. Uh, Lost every game except against Dundee United just the other week. Yeah, they drew one each. Yeah, grim times there, but still a lot of football to be played. So there's maybe still time for right to get them going. Um, so he's, the the thing is as well is he's, he's got to work with what he's got. Yep. It's not as if he can come in and say right, there's a wee transfer window coming up. We got laugh or, at him. Well, he managed to pick him up. They did manage to pick him up. Um, I don't think you're able to delve into the loan market anymore now, are you? It's no, past that no. period where um, I don't know if he might turn to some of the young boys in the team and the, and the, the use or whatever to bring them through if he's maybe had a look. Oh, yeah, I don't think he would at this point in time. No, it's time for obviously the, the sort of experienced players in the team to step up. Even though there could be the argument to say that they are, they've been failing the team this season, but yeah, um, but there has been that. Uh, there's been talk. Obviously, I know that there's quite a few Kilmarnock fans out there that there's been there's talking quite a bit of a clique yeah. with some of the players in the team. Um, allegedly, uh, that's no obviously proven or not, but there's been a few names banded about. Because um, that was a factor they said in Alessio leaving. Yeah, yeah, and it's that same clique still there. Um, under new managers, but whether that's whether there's no smoke without fire, as the saying goes, yeah. And if this has been burning for quite a wee while, then there's obviously something 
no right between uh, reading between the lines. Definitely. Um, so the top end of the table, I think we've been waiting since about maybe October, November time to say that they were <laughs> champions yeah. um, with the way that they've been performing. And that was it finally confirmed on on Sunday. Premature celebrations on Saturday. Yeah. Uh, which I was kind of like, what's going on here? But um, aye, they, they sealed the deal. Maybe they, had to, maybe they just thought Celtic have been that poor last season they will drop points on Sunday. But that's it. Sealed, signed, delivered, as Stevie Wonder would say. Mm-hmm. Um, and fully deserved. Folk have said about Celtic being poor this season. It wouldn't matter. Celtic could have been as good as they were, maybe under Rodgers, and they still might not have won the league. No, um, no, that's been that good. It's yeah, they've been relentless. They they haven't. Um, there's always a time, and some very rarely do you go through seasons, um, and no matter whatever league it is, where you don't have a a little spell of, of inconsistency or a couple of defeats or yep, that yep. little drop in form. And the Rangers haven't had it since the start. It's just been relentless. Um, they have dropped off their, their tempo and the style of football, and but they've been grinding out the results and they've been winning them. They've not even been drawing games. The likes of Livingston the other week there when they won 1-0, um, two or three games previously before that. The, the goals had dried up. They were winning their games, obviously, convincingly. 3-4-0, 4-1s. Um, and then all of a sudden, they just went into a little spell where it was consistently 1-0 victories. Yeah. Um, sign of a good team, isn't it? Great. Yeah, that's the sign of a good team. Just, yeah. And even going through their spell of little suspensions of um, Morelis maybe missing a game, Kemar Roof's injury... Um, Ryan Jack in and out the team all season. Scott Arfield missing as well, but the, they've they've not missed any of those players. The players that's came in have stepped up to the plate and they've produced the goods um, at the right time. Aye, do we think then that the biggest difference in a way has been actually defensively, because they've been pretty good going forward under Gerard. Anyway, that's never been a problem. But defensively, they maybe weren't quite the best. There was errors here and there. Um, whereas this season, I was looking at some stats earlier, there's not been one error from Rangers that's led to a goal, which is an unbelievable start. Yeah, that is. And I, I don't know about outside of league. That was a league start. Um, but still phenomenal. What, that is, that is, yeah. 32 games they've played. Um, and for just crazy, nine goals conceded. When you, yeah, when you think straight away you could pinpoint last season and probably the season before you could straight away you could think there's a mistake in Connor Goldson. Yeah. Same there, hasn't, there hasn't been this year from the uh, yeah Tavani as well. There hasn't been at all this year. Um neither of them have put a foot wrong. Um Barisic has stepped up to the plate with goals. Um defensively he's got better um playing and and it's apart from McGregor's been there in goals all the time. You've had Tavernier at right back. You've had Barisic at left back. And you've always had Conor Goldson. The, the one player is who's, who's played alongside him. Um, and it's been, obviously, it's been a toss between Balogun and Hillander. Hillander's yeah. um, played more of the games now. That seems to be the preferred um, partnership. So three the three the back four and, and if you include the goalkeeper, four of the back five for Rangers have been have been 
permanent fixtures yeah. all season. Not even missing for suspensions or an odd game. Only recently, obviously, the Tavernier dropped out um, and Balogun went to went to right back. Holander had come into the team and that didn't even make a, a, a difference either. Um, Balogun stood up, played very, very well. Um, and as I say, when, when I... There's been an odd occasion, more so in Europe. Actually, have you seen? You saw this, uh, yeah, the different style of teams that they've come up against and they've conceded goals in Europe. Yeah. Um, and there's been a few mistakes um, by the centre backs, but not in Scottish football. Uh, they've been rock solid. Aye, going back to the point about maybe defensively as well, they've probably been quite lucky across the board that they've maybe not had many injuries. No, they haven't. Yeah, that, that's been very, very. The, the, the injuries to the team have happened in, in the forward-going areas. Yeah. Um, so, Ruth obviously been out injured. Um, ha, yeah, he's been the main man, really, that's been injured really there, actually. Midfield has been where, where it's Ryan Jacks, obviously, injury. So, his season has been stop-start. But, again, they've had the players there that stepped in, Kamara, Davis. Um, Aribo had a spell out, didn't he? Uh, he had a little spell out, yeah. And he's now looking terrific. Yeah, Scott Arfield missed a bit of the season, but he's come back. But the, the changes that they've made to the teams with the players that's came in and replaced them have, have all have all worked. Yeah, so whoever comes in knows their role, don't they? Yeah, that's it. Uh, doesn't matter who's in. So I know um, that's a league secured. I know there was a start about it's was it the earliest by date that they've a team's won the league, uh, but Chris. They used to be in the podcast. He loves a start, so he was out with the starts earlier. Um, so it's earlier since nineteen oh two oh three, with six games to spare. But Celtic won the title on the twenty sixth of March with seven games to spare, and the twenty sixth seventeen title on April the second with full eight games to spare. So Chris told us that. So I like. I do like a start. Uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, there's some starts. Um, but yeah, it'll be interesting to see how they get on on Thursday. It will be. Um, be Hanover. over. We'll still be celebrating. By the looks of it. I saw uh, some of the pictures of some of the players. Um, Ryan Jack and Alan McGregor especially. Um, very slightly intoxicated. Um, I. It wouldn't surprise me if Rangers could beat mm-hmm. uh, Thursday night. I, if you're a betting man... Um, Slavia Prague is a good price. Slavia Prague are actually a decent team. Uh, very. It's Leicester they knocked it, wasn't it? Yeah, they put Leicester out. Um, quite a, I think, I could be wrong. It might have came for the other Prague team, Sparta Prague. But the two boys at West Ham. Uh, oh, Suchek and. Suchek, the uh, midfielder, the and Kufal. Kufal, yeah. the right back. As I say, I could be wrong. They might have came from Sparta Prague and to West Ham, but it might have been Slavia Prague. They produced. They've got a really decent um, setup, and and they replace players that go away quite very well. Um, very well run club. Club. So they are. Uh, I think anything that Rangers do now in Europe's a bonus. It's been a bonus to get this far. Um, Rangers get into the game again. They'll be favourites. Uh, Probably with some bookmakers, but you would hope that Gerard will not take Slavia Prague lightly. But I've got a wee sneaky feeling I think this might be a step too far. Probably in any other circumstances, if they hadn't won, if, the, if, if it was any other 
time you might have said, yeah, Rangers could probably beat Slavia Prague. And they probably, and they, they could. Yeah. I'm, not, I'm not saying they won't, but I've just got a sneaky feeling the way this has came in after what's happened now at the weekend, um, that it, they wouldn't be too surprised if, if they... Aye. It's a, difficult, it's a difficult one, isn't it? Because obviously they've won the league. So naturally you're going to celebrate, but maybe there needs to be... That maybe could have been element of light, right? We've still got stuff to play, have a well, enjoyable, a possibility enjoyable, possibility and enjoyable night. But yeah. Celebrations are like they've continued into today, and then well, and the celebration have been going on since about Saturday because we're all in the beers anyway. Yeah, yeah. So, ah, and they might be looking at the Scottish Cup now because that looks as if it's all well, they've got dates now, obviously, to start the Scottish Cup back up. Um, Rangers might be looking at it, you know what, let's get a double. Let's end the season here in a double. Forget about Europe. They won't They won't totally forget about Europe. They'll go out there and they'll be professional. But I wouldn't think they would be disappointed. They'll be disappointed, but they wouldn't be overly disappointed if they were to get knocked out in the two games. Um, and then they could totally focus on getting a Scottish Cup run and maybe ending the season with two trophies out of three. Yeah. Uh, Two out of three ain't bad. Yeah. Uh, meatloaf. Oh, hi, meatloaf, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, aye. Um, we'll no talk about what's going on at the weekend with celebrations and all that type of thing because there's... Ah, uh, yeah. <laughs> we're best not to get into that. Yeah. It's, it's, aye. That's all we'll say. Yeah. But, yeah, we'll uh, leave it to that. Aye. It keeps us out of water. Anyway, <laughs> we don't get any trouble. Um, so... The the theme of the podcast before the whole McKinnister and everything went on was football films and documentaries, which was inspired by the fact that both yourself and me were lucky enough yes. to get tickets for the world premiere of Never Give In, the Alice Wilson yes. movie, uh, which took place on Saturday. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, five o'clock. So tremendous, wasn't it? It There's was. in uh, all sorts with Ferguson, but yeah, like I really that enjoyed that. It was something different. It was very different the way it was produced. Um, firstly, straight away, I meant to say, I meant to message you actually when we spoke about it after it was finished. Um, when it went to the Q and A um, after it with Jason and with Sir Alex, I was, I must admit, I, I was more interested with a conversation with Jason. Um, and just how they came about and did it, because after watching it, I wanted to know, well, how did they come to the reason they're doing it the way they did it? Um, oh, the timeline of events. Yeah, the timeline of events, and, and and I thought that was really enthralling, the the, the way that him and Edith Bowen, who was the, the host of the Q&A, um, and how he spoke about that, um, and everything else, that the surroundings that went on, because obviously they, they said that they were in the process of making the documentary anyway, and bang, the, his illness um, struck. Yeah. Um, was it the it, night before, I think, that yeah. he'd, um, Jason had confirmed he was going to be the director of NI yeah. the next day? And it uh, changed the whole focus of the, way, the outlook of the documentary. So that was that was very interesting to hear. The, the actual Q&A with Sir Alex Ferguson after it was... It was okay, but it was nothing new. Yeah, um, it was pretty. The questions obviously weren't the greatest in the world that had been sent in. It was pretty mundane, and it was yep. it was your typical, um, your typical answers. There was nothing 
there was nothing new you were hearing from Sir yes. Alex. There was no wee juicy bits of gossip. There was no no tittle tattle or anything this way. It was just uh, it was kind of robotic. The manager yeah. would say after a, a normal press conference. So that was a bit disappointing. Um, yeah. But the actual film itself was was really really good. Oh, I definitely, I think the emotion as well through it. Like, I did yeah. find myself towards the end, like, I was quite emotional, where I think it's interesting because I've been watching things about other uh, Scottish managers, and I've been recently at Glen Buck, where Bill Shankly was obviously from. And obviously, some folk know the story, some folk, when I didn't know, maybe know everything as much as what I know now. For a, a village of about one and a half thousand people to nobody anymore. It's all ruins. Yeah, it's gone. And it's just yeah. this wee memorial for something. You think there should be yeah. more. There should be more. Like <laughs> when you consider what he did, but not only him, but for the fact that what is it, they said it's about fifty-three professional footballers came. Footballers from the, came out of Glen Buck, yeah. Which was and the, the team, the, yeah, the team, the Cherry Pickers were, were they were one of the best in Scotland. Mm-hmm. So they were uh, phenomenal for, for just a small in the middle of nowhere, basically. I mean, there is nothing within that area to the north or to the south. Motherwell, well, you get Douglas, obviously, a little bit further on, but Douglas was just a, a, a little village. Um, Motherwell, be in Glasgow, is your nearest. Yeah. But they're still quite a distance away. And then further south, obviously, it's a big distance to get to, like, say, Air and Kilmarnock, which would be yeah. a mix too. So, I mean, for, for some, somewhere like that, to be out there in the, in the wilderness, it was, yeah. <laughs> um, and then... Following on from that, we'll talk more about the, the Never Given documentary, but I was watching a thing about uh, The Three Kings. I don't know if you've seen The Three Kings. No, I haven't yet, no. And it's Busby, Shankly and Steen. Uh-huh. To think that the three of them were born within 30 miles of each other. Of each other, yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. yeah. Um, they got the, 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 There's been quite a wee bit of them. Um, I think they've rectified it now, but there's a wee bit of, sort of faux outrage um, from two or three... Uh, people because they classed just as what we were talking about, classed Bill Shankly as being uh, as being Glasgow, and obviously he's yeah. Ayrshire uh, compared to the other two. Aye, and I watched the one as well um, recently. Shankly, just a that's on was it on Prime or Netflix? It was on one of the two anyway. But it's actually a guy that got interested in it from down south, and they thought I'm going to go and see where this kind of Glen Buck area is like and get the real story of Shankly and different things like that um, and it was fascinating they were all, all the family well there was some family on it some friends and different things like that and they were like who's who's Bill Shankly who's Willie Shankly and that way when he went down to England they were like I called yeah. Bill instead of Willie and different things like that and just had a wee kind of insights to what he was like as a person what the family was like and different things like that as well um, so it was good that's why well worth a watch as well yeah yeah I'll keep that one in my list uh... No, but the, the the Ferguson documentary. I mean, I, I've, I've been. I hold my hands up actually, and um, I never knew that they were actually making one. I must admit, I I hadn't saw or, or read or, or heard anything on, on TV or radio or, or in or in online um, or in print about a documentary coming up, and it was only because. Um, well, we both know. Obviously, we're, we're both film fans, and in, in the uh, the same time as loving football, um, it was only through the Glasgow Film Festival being on and receiving no- notifications and emails and yeah. checking to see what was going on, and blah blah blah. Um, it was only then when it popped up 
that this was coming on that I went, oh, uh, that's that looks good. Yeah. Um, as I say, because I had no idea that there was there was one had been made or. But obviously, I'm presuming the the situation with Sir Alex um, and his health meant that. Well, maybe they've kept it quiet. Yeah. Um, regards the release because the, his situation at the time was touch and go. Yeah. Uh, I don't. I because I don't think as well in the documentary. So I don't think we ever had an understanding how bad he was. Because obviously no. it's nothing really to do with us. It was more a personal thing with the family yeah. and that. Yeah. And that's the thing. And maybe in different circumstances with COVID over there, was it maybe going to be a different kind of premiere? And different oh, the, like yeah, it possibly could have been, yeah. Was it always intended to have it at Glasgow Film Festival because he's obviously a Glasgow-born? Um, and to have that, because I think that was something that Jason talked about. It was really important that it was yeah. at the Glasgow Film Festival. But there was wee things I think we did learn. Like, I've read, they're probably the same as myself. You've read books about him. And you've heard things and different things like that. Whereas we can have things like um, about I didn't know so much about the, the family situation with the wife. Right. And all that type of thing and yeah. And how the situation at Rangers ended. Aye. You knew that yourself. Yeah, yeah, I knew it delved it gave a little bit more. Um talked about it in a lot more detail than the the this it kind of went below the surface uh, of of everybody knew that the Catholic scenario of his wife and um, that there was the possibility that his career ended at Rangers because of of the relationship they had there. Um, but he spoke obviously about um, certain little things that I had never heard of or never read, um, which was. Uh, when he was pulled aside and asked where he got married. Yeah, yeah. Whether it was in the chapel or not. I mean, I've, I've never heard that story um, I'm reading. Um, and uh, what else? That he got jailed. That he got, yeah, that was, that was a in new one. Yes. Yeah, in the cells. I never knew that. And I think that uh, was not long before he got, I think that was actually before he got his break with St. Johnson. It was. Yeah. He was lucky. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're going to end up giving this whole film away, but when he talks about how the party, <laughs> that's true. we're giving away a lot of spoilers for the for the listeners on uh... uh, by thin, things like that. Um, but interesting again to kind of look into the man himself and what, he, what why he became such a good manager. And it's a thing that stands with the likes of your Shankly, your Busby, your Steen, all your great Scottish managers. They all had working class roots. They worked in the likes of the mines or the shipyards. And they knew how to lead men and work with men and get yeah. the best out of them. It wasn't just about, they weren't just footballers. They were people. And you, you see the likes of Giggs talking about how he was a father figure and stuff like that. But also that could work against them because, you know, it's like you can have arguments with your family um, and quite vicious arguments. Oh, yeah, um, yeah. But Ferguson just knows how to manage people. He does, he does. And that, comes through, that comes through the whole the whole crux of the whole film so it does um the, the big the big thing that got me i suppose we can talk about it a little bit because it i think it was today this morning was it yesterday uh it was on it was, it was on the radio actually and they were talking about it so um yeah because it was actually on one of the news headlines yeah they, they spoke about sir alex ferguson and they've obviously picked this up from the film because it's now been released as such. Um, albeit, I think it's now 
couple of weeks' time before it's actually put out on main Sky, release. Yeah, I think Sky uh, Cinema's got it on the uh, 20th, maybe. Aye. Um, the, the thing that really got me, and we knew, obviously, that it had taken a brain hemorrhage, and we knew it was bad. But the, the speech, yeah, his situation about losing his speech, um, that was that was brand new, and I had never known anything about that. And that was quite, whoa, that was a moment where you went, okay. Uh, Aye, and, and aside from that as well, the something obviously you're passionate about because of support and the kind of type of work that you do, when he spoke about the fact that he might lose his memory. Yeah. And how yeah, that fear was, that was for like him. The fear that, yeah. And, and that kind of, that kind of came through actually quite a bit during the film. Um, it, it was quite really, really bad regards that, that so much fear of losing memory. Yeah. Because I think he, he was, he's a very proud, he's a very proud man and very strong and, Things like that happening. He didn't want doesn't want that to happen to him. Yeah. I think he, he wants to be there right to the very end, um, and go out in a, with a bang. Basically, he doesn't want to go out in a, in a whimper, um, with with an illness like that. But yeah, the, the that played a big part. Yeah, the other thing as well, like uh, I was watching it, the wife was kind of half watching it with me, and when he was talking all that type of thing, you know, like, that way he kind of talks, and, and the visitor said he's just a like traditional Glasgow guy, like he's very kind of down to earth, humble. Doesn't really kind of big himself up too much, but there's a wee, wee glint in the eye, and there's a wee bit of fear at the same time. He's got that kind of mixed, mixed up personality. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you would have got on the wrong side of him, but at the same time, it's the type of guy you'd be having a big blazing argument with him one day, and then the next day, be like. Give a wee cuddle. How you doing? Aye. All right. Aye. That is, aye, you would be. <laughs> so, aye, not tremendous documentary. I'm really glad I got the email, and I think we both at the same time were like, "Oh, you get, you got the film." It's uh, sold out. Um, obviously, I don't know how they actually work because it was online. Uh, regarding how many people, I think they were limited to, to five hundred. I think it was five hundred. Yeah. Um, I suppose they could have put a thousand, two thousand tickets out there, and it wouldn't have five million. I don't know. Um, it makes it more exclusive, doesn't it? Though I think. Yeah, that's yeah. When it comes to that, when when something goes online, it's quite hard to work out how they work out a, a limit and people that can watch as to why. Um, but I suppose, as you say, it makes it it makes it that more uh, unique for everybody that has got a ticket. But it sold out just like that. Yeah. So it did. I mean, I, I was. Very lucky. Um, as I say, the email come through because I was subscribed to the film festival itself. Um, and when I saw it coming up, I went, oh, I put a wee note in my diary in my phone yep. uh, when the tickets went on, I think it was like midday or on a Thursday. Aye. Uh, and I was quick on my phone at half past 11 and I thought, right, I'll get ready. Because I had a feeling that a lot of people, there were a lot of interest yeah. um, for something like that. Hi. It was maybe helped in a way that it was through the Gla- the GFT, the Glasgow Film Festival, as opposed to maybe like say your audience or stuff like that, that had been publicised more. Aye. Uh, it would have gone to members only to, to kind of email. So oh uh, fascinating. Um watching. It's good. Um we need to say we asked for feedback about favourite films, documentaries, and I think folk get caught up in media and stuff like that. Dream team, we're no counting dream team. <laughs> I actually never 
I, I was no lucky. Well, I'm no secret to say lucky or unlucky, but I never had Sky to see that. Because it was on Sky, wasn't it? Dream it team. was I. Sky, aye. it was on I. It ran for a bit, it ran for about 10 years. So yeah. I, did, I must admit, I watched it for the beginning up until maybe a bit. I never had Sky, but I always, I think it was on. When we right. talk about illegal devices, don't get us into trouble, we'll get struck off. No, here. no, 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 not then. <laughs> you wouldn't have got illegal devices back then. <laughs> I think it was broadcast on. Oh, wait a minute. Did I have. I had. Um... Was that... It was on Sky One, and I think I had ITV Digital. Do you remember ITV Digital? Right, aye, yep. Which was the, the digital platform service that came out. I definitely had that, and I, they actually had a few Sky um, channels on their their device that you could watch. I think you paid that little bit extra. Certainly they had, I don't, they didn't have sports, but they picked up with Sky One and maybe like another two or three channels. And I, because I do remember watching it, yeah, but I don't. I remember I never had Sky only until the last four, four or five years. Uh, but I always remember watching it through that, and then I didn't because ITV Digital went bust. Uh, so obviously I lost it. But it was it got it, <laughs> it get more and more camp and more and more <laughs> surreal. Um, by about say I, I don't know how many seasons it went. Say it went nine. By about season four, it just started to get more and more. And you're thinking, <laughs> these things are just never happening in football in real life. <laughs> but they had already done, by by the first three seasons of it, they had already done almost every scenario that could happen and had happened in real life football. So they couldn't go back to obviously doing, all right, there's another um, sort of um, drug, guy getting involved in drugs and going to jail. There's another situation of a guy maybe getting involved in extortion. There's another guy um, of, of manager having an affair with a player's wife. <laughs> All those things they had covered throughout the first three series. So the next thing they had to do right, well, somebody has to kill somebody, right? So somebody has to die in a, in a crash. Somebody has to, there has to be an incident um, on the park of two players Fighting, wow, God, uh, it just got worse and worse. Uh, the one I remember right about the same time because I think in a normal deal, it was footballers' wives, which was when the, the explosion of the wag, the wag culture, and all uh, that type of thing. And it was, it was crazy. Um, with that, but I've no count the likes of the type no, of things. We've no, just maybe spoke about them for the last time. I know, 10 I know. But your, your shout as well with the TV side of things, Josie Giants was a classic growing up. It was uh, that was my favourite growing up. Uh, so it was. Uh, it's not obviously a TV film. It was. It was a TV Aye. series. Uh, it lasted only two two series, um, but it was. It's one of those cult cult ones that just keeps coming back on you. That you were the same age as the, as yep, the, yeah. the boys, girls growing up. So that's why it maybe resonates a lot more. Um, and I think the Jordies obviously just the way Sid Waddell produced it. it the commentator for the darts, uh, sadly no longer with us anymore. It was his, it was actually a book, I think he wrote. Initially, he wrote it as a book, and then it got turned into obviously the TV. I don't know why it only lasted two series because it was popular. Um, and and it still is when you, well, people around our age, 
they're doing really well considering obviously they're half the country's in ruin and rubble. Yeah. Uh, it's a bit like when we were we had Daniel on uh, and we were talking about the likes of China and India. It's naive to think that they're not going to at some point be great in no, football because no. once India, well, I'd say maybe more India than China maybe, but once they get passionate about something and they get the infrastructure and they yeah. get things going with the coaching and everything like that and the correct facilities, I think that's right, probably a big right. problem. Yeah, um, if you give me a wee second, John, I'll go get that bit of paper and we'll get the name of that. So. I know worries. Um, but that, that'll be the big thing, uh, with India. Mm-hmm. And maybe when we talk about India as well, a documentary that's come out recent times, a real-life documentary was uh, David Robertson with Kashmir. The real Kashmir. For that. Uh, we've obviously had David Robertson on the podcast and he was uh, terrific. I was a wee bit intimidated. Uh, when he was coming on because of the, the character he portrays, or not portrays on uh, there, but he's a, a strong guy. Good documentary. Um, and interesting to see how they've improved over time. With that. Got it. Just, just staying there. I don't know if you heard me about the uh, real class we are. Oh yeah, yeah. Robertson ties in well with India because yeah. the infrastructure there, and you see some of the grounds are playing that and things like that. But definitely football's only up there. Yeah, so um, that documentary was called "Serie A Football on the Frontline," right, um, okay. and it was on the BBC. BBC. So I'll need to try and I'll need to try and find that. Yeah, I'll look out for that one. Um, yeah. Some of the. <laughs> Some of the other ones, um, that, <laughs> again, some of these ones that I've not watched um, that I'm going to actually now have to go and try and source from other areas. Stanley Matthews. Right, okay. Documentary came out 2017, um, and I recorded that in my planner, but it's gone. I should be able to find that. Um, that looked really good as well. Um, One Night in Turin, which was about uh, England, 1990 World yeah, Cup. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Again, a lot of good reviews about it. Again, unfortunately, I've not been able to watch it and I'll need to go and try and source it. <laughs> what did I watch recently? I'm trying to think. It was a film actually about Liverpool uh, in Istanbul, but it was ah, a comedy. One, one night in Istanbul, no? <laughs> aye, aye. Aye, aye. I found that quite amazing. Actually, it was good. Good laugh. Um, another one, uh, this was uh whites and blacks it was called um adrian childs the bbc um, oh yeah yeah P- presenter tv presenter radio presenter again it was but that's back in about 2017 uh produced a documentary that i had i had recorded uh and it was about when they actually had a game uh the whites against the blacks um which i think was roughly around about the time of the the cold west of, Brom. yeah it was around that period. Uh, Laurie Cunningham, the three degrees. Laurie Cunningham, Cyril Regis, and um, who was the other? Brendan Batson. Yeah. Uh, sadly, sadly, two of them have now passed away. Laurie Cunningham and Cyril Regis are no longer with us. Brendan Batson's actually the, I think he still is the PFA um, sort of minority chairman. Uh, yeah. Has been for quite a wee while. Um, so that's on my list as well. I, I don't know if I've got any more. One, one I'd watched Best recently. Score wins, obviously, is there. Aye, one I'd watched recently. I don't know if you've seen it. I think I'd mentioned it before. But that's it's a, a Totti documentary. 
Not seen that one. Which is superb. Uh, yeah. Uh, about his career, fantastic, well worth a watch. Just about him growing up as a Aroma fan, getting to play for the boyhood club, and then captaining the club so early. Um, and then also at the time round about when he came in or not with after, at that point Lazio were spending loads of money as well. Remember Ericsson at Lazio uh-huh. at the time and uh-huh. Lazio right. and Roma won the league a season aside from each other, didn't they? I think. Yeah. If I remember rightly. Yeah. Um, but ah, yeah, it was brilliant. Good. It's, yeah, no, it's no often as well you get guys nowadays that are one club men. There is. Um, no, you don't know. There's quite a... It's quite... Back in the day, it, um, it got me thinking actually when we when we spoke about the the, the Sir Alex Ferguson and then, and then I said to you obviously why don't we make that the topic about football yeah, documentaries, yeah. football films, the, the, the documentary side of it is there's now a there's now an explosion in football documentaries. Um, they're coming out almost ten a penny one one yeah. every week. And because there's that many different streaming platforms that you get now, yep. Um, yep. and obviously the, your mainstream um, television outputs as well. Um, but back in the day, there, there were very few and far between. Uh, I mean, we've we've rattled off already about five or six, maybe more than that. But all the ones we spoke about just now are either are just out this yep. year, twenty twenty. Uh, or I'm only going back to maybe 2017 um, when all of these have come out and there's I mean there's ones it's, there's a new one out about Pele Pele's oh, got I, one yep, it's come out, out just now that I haven't seen there's one coming out about Roberto Baggio oh, um, it's, it's coming out fine ponytail uh, yep uh, what else is there Obviously, the, the Diego Maradona one came out a few the years Diego back. Diego Maradona, which is up there with one of the best I've ever seen. But I think what got me for that one is I uh, love, I think he is just probably what, if not the top director of documentaries, he's, he's, he's in the top two, or he's, in, he's my number one anyway, but he's, um, he's a guy that directed Maradona's Asif Kapadia, right, okay. um, who directed... Probably the best documentary that I've ever seen, Senna. Uh, And in between, I must admit, I was never a fan of her. Um, But he directed Amy, which was about Amy Winehouse. Okay, yes. um, Which was, was, as I say, I wasn't a fan of her music, but but because I liked his documentaries and his style that he did them in, I watched that and that blew me away as well. Aye. And he did the Maradona one, obviously. Um, I think he's got another. He's always spoke. I've spoke to him on Twitter a few times. This isn't the football, obviously, related, but he's always wanted to do a documentary. And he said he will do it at some point on um, Stephen Roach, who's the Irish um, cyclist who won the Tour de France Okay. in the middle 80s, late 80s. Uh, that might be next to his pipeline. But yeah... Um, the, the there's all the documentaries. These are the ones I love. I suppose it's maybe a time thing um, more than anything. And uh, in, in my sort of current situation, obviously, regard work and family and everything else. But me as a person, and it doesn't actually go with uh, documentaries. It goes with TV series as well. I, I can't kind of binge watch anything. I've got to watch them and take my time. Okay. Uh, 
on a, whether it's on a week-by-week basis or it might even be watching three episodes, but over the course of a week, um, I can't just sit down and say, because everything just gets flung at you, you can do it straight away. Um, very rarely now do you get a TV programme or any pro- where it goes on a week-by-week. Even the BBC now are putting... Aye. Not all the time, but the BBC are putting things on the iPlayer now that you can actually watch it all. They'll still put it on every week, or whether it's every night during a week. Um, but see your document, your football documentaries, I haven't watched any of them yet, and I will get round to them, um, the, the ones that Amazon Prime have done, so they're all or nothing. I was going to talk so, about that, the all or nothing series are superb, no matter well, what sport it is. Yeah, um, well, I've watched some episodes of them, I must admit, I have not, but um, so your Leeds United, Manchester City's, yep. Barcelona's, Tottenham, Spurs, yeah, your non sports Sunderland till I die. Yeah. Uh, there's loads of ones there. That, um, but as I say, I will get through them and I will watch them. But I'll take my time at watching them, whether it takes me two weeks or whether it takes me two months. I think uh, the, uh, the All or Nothing series is quite interesting because you're getting a bite, a feel for what's going on just now yeah. behind the scenes, and you're quite. You're surprised at the fact that football clubs are allowed that and see the the all or nothing has now obviously it's you're now seeing it almost everywhere that everybody is just taking that sort of style of documentary and they're all what to do it. Yeah, the it's BBC did it for Hearts. The Hearts documentary was, it, it in was the good. Same, I like the Hearts one. Same style. Um, I think I read today actually it's only been done through um, in-house media. But Rangers TV have produced a documentary of this season. Right, okay. Um, and it'll go, it might come out eventually in DVD. Um, they might sell it to obviously a streaming site who might pick it up. But but Rangers TV in house, I think, have, have filmed over the course of the year. Um, I think I read that this afternoon on their Twitter. Uh, oh, it would make sense. Um, but the, the, that style, of, that style of documentaries, the the hip thing, the end thing to do at the moment, they're all trying to do the all or nothing style. Yeah, you would think the clubs would actually paid a fortune though for these documentaries. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I'd watch some of the non-football related ones, the likes are about the Australian cricket team. Oh yeah, the, the New Zealand rugby team. Aye, aye. Like that, and they're fascinating as well. Yeah. Um, go on to other things as well, films, and this one came up. Quite a few people chose this one. And actually, the first time I watched it, never totally got into it, but I think it's because of a, a long-haul flight and I was maybe a bit tired. The Damned United. Oh, right. About Cloughit Leeds. You've got, well, yeah, that could work. That could be quite thingy for you if, if you've said that that's when you first tried to watch it. It's very deep. Yeah. Um, I must admit, I've read the book, uh, preferred the book, but then... Nine times out of ten, no matter whether it's a documentary or a TV program or a film or whatever, the book's always better than the uh, the book's better than the the adaptation that comes out in TV. Uh, but the but the Damn United was was fantastic, very well. Meg, Michael Sheen obviously plays Brian Clough. He gets the mannerisms that spawned on yeah, in the voice and everything. Fantastic actor because he's proved now, obviously, since then that he can play almost anybody. Yeah, he's been Tony Blair, he's been, um, God was knows where was he in Frost and Nixon? I think he was, yeah. I think he played, I think I can't remember what one he played, but he, yeah, uh, he's, he's played played other characters, other um, main, but uh, but as I say, very a documentary that's very broody, very dark. 
which is quite compared to almost all your other documentaries. They might not be, they might not be uh, light as such and, and friendly and, and, and kind of happy go larry. Most most of them are not, but this one was one that uh, I'm saying it wasn't really a documentary. It was more more a film. Um, and uh, as I say, it delved into the the darker side and the deeper side of, of Clough's time at Leeds United um, and obviously a little bit of, of his life and what happened around that, that uh, what was it, 44 days he was manager? Aye, yeah, yeah. crazy. Yeah, you consider what he did before at Derby. Yeah. And not in the forest. And then what he did oh, obviously was... forest after it, yeah. Tremendous. Um, other ones that were mentioned, I've no... I don't think I've heard of either of these ones actually, but I don't know whether you might have heard of them or seen them. I believe in miracles. Okay, and... well that's that's about Brian Clough. Right, okay. That, that, yeah, that's again I've I've not seen it. I've, well I've seen clips. Um I've not seen the full that's more um about his spell just at Nottingham Forest. Uh and taking Forest obviously to the two uh to the top of the tree in the two European Cup triumphs. Again, it's got a lot of good reviews. Miracle of Bern. About the... the 1954 World Cup. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's another one. There was actually, I haven't seen that one, but there's a foreign version that I did watch. I think you can get it on YouTube. Well, um, I said it was a foreign language film. Yeah, on, it's a German a German or a Swiss version. Um, and that is, that is really good. So that is, I would need to see the the latest one to find out how it, how it goes with the, with the old one. The old one's... It's very dated now, um, but obviously because it was 1950s, but it's still worth a watch. Yeah, and I can't believe no one said this. Maybe this is just me thinking back to my probably the first football film I would have seen. Escape the victory. It's pretty good. <laughs> That's going to be everybody's, isn't it? No, I thought fit. maybe maybe I'm just thinking of nostalgia because it's probably the first football film I've seen. I think, yeah, it would be me too, yeah. I can't think of any other. And you think when you've got the mixture of the actual real footballers that were in it? I know. And then Sylvester Stallone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's one of, it's actually, it's a, it's a real cult film now. It, it gets slated for quite a while there, sort of maybe about 10 years ago, um, maybe longer, because it can come out early 80s. Um, and it was obviously, and everybody hated it, mainly for the fact that Sylvester Stallone and yeah. Michael Caine's part in it. Because yeah. they, I think, because they played so prominent parts in the movie, and neither of them were footballers compared to the the others. They were peripheral, obviously. Um, the rest of the, the the team, and because they were so bad. But when you look at it now, and you, you, Michael Caine's role was actually really, really good. It, it was, he played it well. And, and Stallone wasn't as bad as what he thought. I think he, he was on set. Um, he just had no idea when they filmed it. When you speak to some of the guys, that, that well, especially the, the sort of English guys that were in it, John Wark, Russell Osman, um, Bobby Moore, when he was alive, spoke about how bad uh, Sylvester Stallone was in training and trying to obviously imitate being a footballer. But it, actually, when, it, when you look at it, it's maybe just nostalgia for me. Um, I can't say a bad word about it. Ah, yeah, I loved it. <laughs> um, I'm, I wouldn't really count Gregory's girl as a football film, would you? Football plays a big part in it. It's 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 more a love 
it's a love um, film with football being the background. Uh, yeah, oh, yeah, you might. I would, I would put it into the football category. Put it in. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I've been Some lucky enough ones. never to see a shot at glory, which I've heard is a good thing. I've heard it's not very good. <laughs> cool, Noki. Uh, whereas Alan McCoy wears a Celtic strip. Yeah. Um, and he's the main man, Jackie. Jack, I can't remember his second name, but his name's Jack, Jackie. And he is the main man for Kilnocky up front. Uh, <laughs> it's quite... Um, the, the, the team, the, if I'm right, the team is filmed... Uh, a lot of the games were filmed at Queen of the South. So they used a lot of the Queen of the South players. I think the final might... They get, was that hard? Didn't really filmed it. No, was it Rugby Park? When they got to the final, Didi Agat was playing and was playing in the team. But those guys, it was uh, he played in the other team. It was Rangers that played in the final. Yeah, they played Rangers in the final. And Alan McCoy is playing for Kilnocky. And I think Didi Agat, who at the time, don't know if he was at Celtic or where he might have been at Hibs, was playing for Rangers, obviously. Uh, and there was a few of the Rangers kind of youth team I think they had in the, the team. And a lot of the, the boys for Kilnocky were guys like uh, Stevie Marlin, uh, who played a big successful career at Auckland Lake Talbot. Yeah. Um, and who else? Uh, John Martin was a goalkeeper. John Martin, ex Airdrie. Yes, because he was in the podcast. Uh, John interviewed him, and I think they spoke about it a wee bit. Yeah, he um, was in the team. Um, I think we've had someone else as well that was on the podcast that was in the film, but I can't quite remember now. Hi, there was I'm, looking through, I'm looking through the cast now and trying to rejig my, re my memory in terms of... Peter Hederson, I think Peter Hederson was another one, ex-Aberdeen. Aye, yep. Um, uh, I know, I see the likes. Andy Gray was in it. Uh, Ian McCall. Ian McCall. I think Ian McCall played for actually Rangers. Um, Craig McEwen, is that the Craig McEwen that was at Glens? That's exactly who that was. He'd been Queen of the South at the time. Aye. Um, so I no, I've never seen it. Maybe I'll go, I'll watch it at some point. But I have heard it's not great. It's, uh, it's it's pretty bad. Yeah, old coils in it is himself. <laughs> Big Andy Smith, Kenny Black, Alan Lawrence. Alan Lawrence, that was who it is. He was he talked he talk about it a wee bit. Um, John McVeigh. Uh, um, I've never seen the goal films. No, I've not watched again. Them. I've not heard. I've heard no. that's probably no other um, thing. As well, there's quite, there's quite a lot. There's one to go back to. I think there was one. I think this is a good one to watch. I don't think it was the very first one, but it was probably the first uh, mate that became the sort of first mainstream. And then there was nothing else after it for quite a while. Is it classed as a football film? Is it not? To me, it is. It's it's the it's called. Oh God, what's the name of it now? <laughs> <laughs> I built it up now and then I think... <laughs> we'll edit that, we'll edit that. Ah, I edit that, but the, the Arsenal Stadium Mystery, that's what it's called, the, the Arsenal Stadium Mystery, and it's about a bomb, it's about a bomb. Uh, Highbury, there was old Highbury, obviously, plays the background to a, was it to a bank robbery? Oh, I need to Google it now. But it was, it was in the 1930s that it came out. Okay. Film four, film four show, shows it every now and again, right? Um, and and that was the kind of first sort of football film. Yeah, um, it's it's one of those ones. That, that 
football didn't play a massive part in it, but it was something that was set at Arsenal Stadium ground. Um, and it was in the 1930s. It was just before the war, I think it came out. Uh, Let me just... Uh, while you're thinking about that, I watched one recently about West Ham's last season at uh, the bowling ground. Oh, right, yeah. Which was interesting. Uh, oh, what was it called? But it was good because it, it brought in, not just looking at the play- Iron Man. So it wasn't just looking at the likes of the players and everything that was going on there, but the actual people affected in terms right. of the community and all the businesses uh-huh. that were nearby because obviously you've got, I think it there, it was, they were getting about 30,000 fans and you'd have wee places like wee food stalls, you'd have wee shops, folk, folk, uh, places that went for the pie in March, whatever and type of things. And they were like, what are we going to do when they, they move to the, the Olympic Stadium? In terms of the, the income that ah, that brought and different right. things like that, so it was a good, a good mix of like good. the community, the fans, but also as well the, the, some of the players. Uh-huh. Um, so I, it was interesting. Well, yeah. what I I'm trying to think where I watched that. Might have been Prime. Right, Prime I think, are good I, for the I documentaries. Think I think Prime yeah. are really good for sports documentaries. Yeah. The Arsenal Stadium mystery was you know the 1939 British mystery film. And it was one of the first feature films wherein football was a central element to the plot. Um, it was shot and located at um, Arsenal Stadium, Highbury. It's adapted for a novel. Um, um, and it was about the, the two fictional teams they are, the, between Arsenal and the Trojans, who were a fiction, fictitious amateur side. Um, and it was all about a victim who has been poisoned by a chemical and there's evidence that he's been blackmailed and corruption and investigation followed. Um, it's a really good film. So as, but that is probably the first one that they say that, that started football being in, in the mainstream. And then there was nothing else after that. Yeah. Uh, really until... I can't remember anything been in the 50s or 60s, not off... off well, don't you, Bart, you weren't alive then, Donald, to be fair, like, it would be... <laughs> no, but I wasn't, no. No. Um, one of my favourites, though, is one that came out uh, in the early 80s, I think I, I put it down obviously in, in our chat page. Um, it's called Those Glory Glory Days. Um, and this one's actually about Arsenal's rivals, Tottenham. And it's about four young girls. Um, it was filmed in about 1982 or 83. Um, and it's about four young girls who are football daft. And that's all they're interested in. They're not interested in school when they go to a uh, an all-girls school, a very strict all-girls school. And one of the girls, the leader, I think I can afford them, she's called Danny, and her hero is um, Danny Blanchflower, ex-Tottenham okay. yep. in Northern Ireland, and she is besotted by him. And the this, this story plays that um, they, they, they try their best to get tickets for the FA Cup final, um, and the four of them plot a, a plan um, loads of different things whether it's um, been sick because their tickets are going to sale obviously on this day but they're at school and they try and hatch a plan to get these tickets um, poor Danny she gets expelled for school uh, and then she goes and sleeps at White Hart Lane uh, in the stadium overnight one night tries her best to get the tickets falls asleep obviously and the tickets are gone by the time and then her mum uh, she, I think 
Does she manage to get? Oh, she, at the end up, she doesn't manage to get any tickets. We're trying for four, oh, for four girls, and they tried their best to try and get them. They didn't. What gets me is uh, the theme tune to it is just brilliant. Uh, I really liked it, and it's the very end of it actually that the girl grows up, um, Danny, and uh, she becomes a, a journalist. Um, and you see her right at the very end working in the, the man's game um, where it's just on the press box obviously and she gets a lift from Danny Blanchflower himself who takes the, the old Danny, or Julia I think that's her right name, Julia uh, to the press from the game sorry, um, and takes her home um, and it's a, it's a really nice ending. Uh, it's one to one to catch, one to watch. Uh, that's those glory, glory days by uh, it's about Tottenham Hotspur, and that was that's in the nineteen eighties. Some of the other ones um, that came out about them. Um, What else did I like? Yeah, so we're talking there about those glory, glory days, and at the very end, um, John was the the Danny or Julia, as I say, uh, meets da- the Danny Blanchflower. Obviously, at the end, she's a grown-up woman, and she's now working actually as a, a journalist. And then, obviously, the 99% predominantly macho male world of football journalism. Yep. Um, and she, she gets a lift by a hero um, after the game, uh, which is a bit poignant. She never got to see him lift the cup for Tottenham that day. She never got to any tickets, but she obviously got to meet him. And she was older later on. Uh, so I, I enjoyed that. That's when I've actually got it DVD. And I'm not a Tottenham fan yeah. uh, or anything, but uh, I really enjoyed that. Aye, I just like watching any documentaries of football or whatever. And aye, but that leads us in nicely maybe to the the other topic that we are going to talk about. It's International Women's Day. Um, obviously, yes, important day all round. But in football, particularly, there's always the talk about obviously we need more equality, more attention paid to the women's game. The good thing is now we have got an update to say that the women's game can restart again. I don't know if there's a date set in stone yet. That's when they're going to start. No, I don't think so. Training again, right. which is good, because um, it was overlooked again, like it was before um, when COVID first struck. So that's great news um, that they at least can get started again. Because they'd only played maybe I think five or six games. They'd not played. Many yeah, games. yeah, they hadn't started it really at all. To be honest, compared to obviously, I don't know if they're they'll they'll start at exactly the same time. Um, as League One and League Two, when they're coming back, but yeah, they'll, they'll definitely come back, which is great to see. Yeah, I think you don't, you don't want them not to come back, um, because obviously the women's game at the moment's gained a lot of momentum. Yeah. Uh, regards coverage, radio, TV, press, online, um, and it would be a big blow if they were to not start and then obviously start again the following season and. Obviously, TV deals and that might be a big state as well. So, I need to build on the momentum that's there, which is the thing yeah. we've spoken about. We've had kind of guests on, obviously, we've had the likes of Leanne Crichton on, we've had Megan Foley, we've had Cathy Jamieson on, we've had, we've had about 
a good few. We like to cover all aspects of the game. Um, but that's what we thank all the women that we've had on, obviously. Um, and we look to get more on as well. And I think as well for us, and it's a kind of learning curve for us as well, because we don't get as much media attention. It's difficult yeah, to find that. out information. Yeah. Something that we've always found is when we've maybe had guests on, it's, it's hard to get to try and do research because there's no as much there. Whereas if we've got the likes of maybe, we spoke about Alan Lawrence earlier, right? Even though Alan Lawrence played in the 90s, you can still go into Google and find a fair bit about him. You'll have your yeah. memories from when he played. Yeah. Whereas we've had some of the kind of female guests on, and it's been quite hard to do research because you go on the internet and you have a look and there's no as much there available. So we try and learn more as we go and uh, by speaking to the, the girls that are involved in women's football we've learned a lot um, which has been good absolutely um that'd be great obviously for the for the podcast and for them to get uh to get some more on but it's it's, it's good to that they've got their day obviously today and it's good to big them up um scottish football right from the work way back to from the rose riley yeah, exactly. Days yeah. right through Julie Fleeting, and then obviously up to the present day. So, as I say, you're you're Aaron Cuthbert's and you're and um, uh, Leanne Crichton, etc. I think the the concerning thing is at the moment is the amount of abuse that they get in terms of trolls going on and saying, "Oh, yeah, you don't know this, you don't know that." What you're talking about, you're a woman. It's like, well, they've got the same rights to talk about football as a man or anyone exactly. else. Exactly. Yeah, um, and quite often actually. Almost in a reverse way, you watch the likes of um, Leanne Crichton or you watch the likes of Alex Scott down south, they're more knowledgeable about the, about the game and yeah, exactly. the whole game as well, opposed to about just certain teams, I think. Yeah, I was just about to turn around and say, you, you kind of it took the words out of my mouth there because I was going to turn around and say, I've, I've picked up little snippets of um, uh, Rangers TV um, and Shelley Kerr, ex uh, Scotland women's manager, has been recently obviously out of. Uh, out of work at the moment, but I don't think she'll be long before she's back in a job. Um, Shelly Kerr's been doing pundit to work um, on Rangers TV, and I must admit, I've been very impressed. Yeah, um, she's very, she's very broad spoken in the in the term of obviously just her accent. Yep. Um, and I think that puts a because of when we talk about trolls, that puts a lot of people off. Um, because the way some somebody speaks obviously when they come across in the media because she's taken a bit of abuse as well mm-hmm. um, and I think it has been it's not been before it's been for her, her voice more than more than anything yeah. and which is it's just the way that Shelley talks and she has been fantastic um, I've, I've really been impressed and she's in my eyes she's outshone the male um, counterpart whoever has been alongside yeah. her um, whether it's been Neil McCann or whether it's been uh, Kevin Thompson or or whoever Rangers have had alongside, they've been, yeah. been really impressed with her. Aye, I think as well. And it's not as if she's not there. She's she's been in two. Um, she's worked in the men's game, obviously. Um, she knows that side yep. of the story, albeit at a level lower than in the game she's commentating on. But she's worked in the men's game, so she knows. And she had a, a successful period at still in university. And it took obviously Scotland to new heights, to heights that they've never been before. So it's not as if she's getting in there and she doesn't know what she's talking about. Yeah, exactly. There's a good article on the BBC website where Leanne Cryan talks about the abuse that's been um, aimed at kind of women in football. There was a thing recently where I don't know if you know Karen Carney down south, the ex England uh, player, 
and she was getting a fair bit of abuse for certain things. And yeah, that was really quite bad. A lot of folk hiding behind a screen, the usual type of thing, but there's no need for it. Um, no, definitely not. For that, so... Yeah, the more we can do to promote the women's game and learn about the game at the same time, because exactly we aren't naive enough to say that we know everything about the game, and that's where uh, we enjoy having the guests on. Uh, I mean, the level the level of football at, at the top now in, in Scotland is 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 growing and increasing. The level of player that the likes of the top yeah. clubs, Glasgow City, Celtic, Rangers, Hibs, um, your, your top four, um, the level of players that they're bringing in and producing is is really really good. I mean, I mean, obviously that's okay. A few of them are going down the route of bringing in foreigners, but um, it's not to the. It's not yet. Hopefully, and hopefully it doesn't. Um, they don't overpollute their teams with foreigners, but the the, the players that they're bringing in are very decent. Um, play at a very decent level, uh, and it's promoting obviously the game because I know I've saw uh, Rangers more so. Um, I've got a Venezuelan. Uh, striker playing for them, and uh, and an Indian, an Indian girl, which obviously promotes um, the games over there. Right, um, it's, it's a fan base, doesn't it? As well, yeah, maybe attracts yeah, fans as well as the, yeah. the talents as a player. Uh, yeah. Glasgow City signed, I think, South African. Um, yeah. yeah, and then I think there's an American, maybe. And they had a girl on loan for the. I remember the Wolfsburg tie from. Norway, I think it was, or Sweden. All right. So, yeah, the game's kind of spreading um, all over. And then you look at the players that are doing well down south, like say Caroline Weir, Aaron Cuthbert, you mentioned earlier. There's, there's yeah, exactly. Um, Kim Little is, is still performing. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's quite a few Scottish girls that are now producing it. Uh, I think, hey, what's her name? <laughs> Uh, John Beatty's daughter. She was at Jenny's. Yes, Jenny yes, Beatty. Yeah, yeah. Jenny Beatty obviously went at Arsenal. Jenny yeah. obviously had little problems, obviously personally um, through her health, and um, we, we obviously we both wish her um, our recovery, which she's in at the moment, um, yeah. is looking good. So prognosis good, etc. So hopefully she's back yeah. in the park and producing for Arsenal. Aye, the recurring theme I think we've had though from most of the guests, uh, the female guests that we've had on, has been when they were growing up. They never had female footballers as role models. No, they weren't well, visible. They weren't yeah, visible. Only... Whereas now, and we've asked the question of them, how do you the see main... it now as you are a role yeah, model? Yeah. And they're now role models for young girls. <clears throat> the game's developing all the time, which is fantastic. Yeah, you only read, I think it's coming out actually as a film, is it not? Um, just what we're obviously talking about, a film or a documentary, but the Rose Riley story is just... Uh, I mean, she was chastised and and, yep. and ostracised um, from the game for so long. Uh, I think she had a kid on. She was a boy to play it. Yeah, to play. play yeah, football yeah. I mean, from, from what she's went through, and she has she was Scotland's pinnacle woman yep. for so long. There was nobody else. I mean, she's held in so much regard. Um, that's who obviously everybody kind of looked up to. Um, but yeah, from what she went through back in the day to what they're going through now, it's like night and day. Um, long may it continue. Definitely. Uh, just going back to the documentary thing, if there was a documentary to be made about any footballer or football team, what would you want? Oh, uh, that's a good. That's a good one. <sighs> yeah, you would uh, have to. Look. It might be there's already been doc to, to be fair, because obviously it's a worldwide game. And- yeah, yeah. Um, 
I don't know. You mean, I suppose for for entertainment value or or whatever you want, you want to maybe try and document a team that's a basket case, <laughs> which would get ratings going. Um, or an interesting story like the Greek team that won the Euros. Yeah, well, there you go, yeah. That would be interesting. There probably, yeah. has, won, there probably has won about... Probably has been, uh, yeah. But that would be interesting. Uh, something that's a bit different. Some, some of the documents, again, I think there has been as well. I'm thinking of some of the documentaries about the teams that um, that are outside of, of FIFA because um, they've got some stories. Uh, so teams like... Um, because you have the Conifer World Cup, obviously, which takes place, which is for teams like Greenland, yeah. for example, who are not members of FIFA, but they actually play football. And Matabalaland. Uh, um, where else is there? Some of those, some of the sort of um, Pacific nations who are not part of, like... Uh, yeah, yeah. I, mean, I might say Vanuatu, but I think Vanuatu do actually, I remember, are a FIFA member. But some of those, New Caledonia um, down there, documentaries about how they try and and, and get about, obviously, being a football and, and a country, obviously, to try and play the game um, because they're obviously stuck outside of of the FIFA zone that they can't actually play recognised games. Maybe club-wise, um, there's quite a lot probably been done in the South American ones as well probably foreign and obviously in foreign language uh, well, that reminds me actually when we're talking about that did you end up well, we spoke about it recently the virtual football tours yes I've done I've done one today I've done um, well it wasn't live obviously but um, I had paid for it and you get a, a time period so I've done um, two Argentinian clubs Huracan yep uh, FC and I did Argentinos Juniors and I also um, have done today was Naples, um, and this it was more to do with actually. It wasn't Napoli really as such. It was a Diego Maradona and Naples uh, tour. So okay. outside the stadium in the Naples district and all the Maradona murals um, and the, the sort of little areas, the pockets, the little areas now that are just shrines to Diego Maradona. And then around Naples, and just basically the, the person that was doing the actual tour, um, just how much Maradona meant means to the people of Naples and what happened when he was there, etc. Yeah. That, that was really, that was really good. It, I need to do some of them because we'd spoken about the Argentina yeah. Juniors one, um, and I think it'd be really good to do. Well, the next one, the next one that's advertised is Corinthians, okay, the Brazilian yeah. team Corinthians on the twentieth of March. Right, that is... Is that a Saturday? Uh, a week on Saturday. Saturday? Aye. Right, I might have put that one in. It's ho- home fans? Is it home fans? Home fans, that? yeah. Home it's fans, it's called. Yeah, they seem to be quite good. I've left it. Everyone I've done so far has been good. Um, they've been all different, so that's been the good thing. They're not not all the same. Um, and I've left good reviews on them, so fingers crossed you can get some more. Aye. I had something else in mind there when we were talking about that, but it's slipped my mind. Oh! Um, we need to pay tribute to Ian St John as well. That's another oh, yes. event that's yep. taken place in the last right. couple of weeks. And obviously, going back to talking about Shankly earlier, uh, Shankly signed Ian St John. He was very determined that I want, I want him in, him and Ron Yates, uh, uh-huh. him in, they'll help us out. And 
no documentaries or films, but in terms of media growing up, Saint and Graves, eh? we all watched it at our age. Yeah, that was, was that was my mate. That, that, it, it's not thingy to to be that back then, growing up, there was no internet as such. So you're you're looking. Ian St John was um, was a TV personality to me. Um, it wasn't the football part. Jimmy Greaves, obviously the same. Yeah. Jimmy Greaves, Jimmy Greaves, and Ian St John. Growing up, to me, were two guys that presented a football show that was brilliant. Talking yes. about the football of that day, knew nothing of their background till, till you got older. Aye, um, exactly. Obviously, um, and then you delve into obviously realizing just exactly who they were and who they played for, and the two of them obviously had stellar careers, and they bump, they just. They got on with each another so well. Uh, uh, they, been, uh, they played off each other really well. But his record, is, his record was as a player, goal scorer, was phenomenal. Uh, and he just we actually spoke about Shankly and, and Glenn Buck. Ian St John played for a team called it was Douglas, which was just up the road, obviously yeah. from Glenn Buck. Um, he, Douglas Batwater, Batwater or something. Um, and that was where he was, where he was picked up from there, from other... Uh, Douglas Water Thistle. Douglas aye. Water Thistle. I knew there was a, a water in there. Aye, aye, yeah. Um, and that was where he, he started his career and then obviously went from there to Motherwell. But, we, but there's, hard, there's only, what, 10 miles I did, I, between Glen Buck and Douglas. Um, and then obviously the two... There's a bit of an age gap, obviously, between Shankly and St John, but when the two of them are just there that close to one another and then they kind of go there... They go their own separate paths, but then they reunite it together. Obviously, um, at Liverpool, where Shankly signs St John. Aye, had a tremendous career. And any, anyone you hear speak about St John, say, like you say, it wasn't just about the football side of things, it was a personality and the, the guy that he was. I think his, as a man. Yeah, his personality and, and as a person, I think, come across when he passed away, the sort of outpouring of, um, of just. The laughter. Everybody spoke about his laugh, um, and that laugh. And although he was out the limelight, latterly, obviously through ill health, etc., and, and and being obviously elder, obviously he tend to sort of drift out the sort of limelight. When he did pass away, that was one of the things that came. At, he first the well, first thing that I remembered was the infection that he brought. Yeah, um, and the la- the actual laughter. And that laugh, that laugh that he had was unique, and it brought you. I mean, when you remember that, you remember the laugh. It then remembers you, takes you back in time to the Saint and Greasy day, and the two of them. And then it comes together, doesn't it? Whereas you start to then reminisce and you think, oh God, and you remember just how, how much they enjoyed doing that program. Oh, I definitely. I, I mean, there was one of the scenes I can always remember. I think you can download it. You can go on YouTube and you'll find it. And it's been popping up over Twitter quite a wee bit since he passed away. But actually, before he passed away, it was popping up on Twitter. Um, and there's a scene where Jimmy Greaves was unwell uh, during an episode of Satan Greavesy, and they brought in the Jimmy Greaves spitting image puppet. <laughs> Folk again will be like, what are they talking about, spitting image? <laughs> I know another programme. <laughs> I, think our, I think our average age of listeners is about... 30 to 50 anyway, so we're fine. Well, that's uh, all right. Yeah. If there's any teenagers that were like 
Spider-Man. Well, they might watch. They might watch the update version on Britbox. Aye. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, if you watch that video, that clip, it just is brilliant. You, you laugh at it so much because you can tell Ian St John sitting having a conversation with a puppet. <laughs> Aye, oh, it's, it's, it's one of the most iconic uh, scenes ever on TV. Yeah. Um, just going back, something I wanted to say. I touch on in the documentaries. Then. The Three Kings one that stood out for me is the fact that Matt Bosby was managed at Man U. He actually recommended that Liverpool get Shanklin as manager. <laughs> it's crazy. Well, hey. Imagine that now. Man <laughs> Imagine U, that man, now. Like, managed at Man U recommending that the rivals get a manager in. But obviously, Liverpool at the time were in the, the league below. Yeah, they were. But the, the respect that Busby and Shankly had for each other, they played together in Scotland during the war, and the respect they had for each other was, was tremendous. Um, just gentlemen. So, it was something I found really interesting. It was, it was. I'm having a wee look here just to see what other documentaries, because there is, as we say, we're going, going back to the others, there's a bit of plethora. Um, seen the Kaiser one? Bill Beckenbauer? I've not seen it. No, no. Someone mentioned it, and I was like, "That's gotta be good as well." Talking of Kaiser, I think they've made a documentary um, on a. It's on a book. I've not read the book. I've got it here at home on my on my on my bookshelf, and the book title's called Kaiser, um, and it's about a Brazilian footballer who basically went through like a twenty-year period as a footballer. And oh, never kicked a ball, but spent his a lifetime uh, living as a professional footballer. And uh, they made it into a book, and I think they're making it into a documentary, or they're actually going to make it into a film. Okay. His, his career spanned like fifteen different clubs. He would only sp- stay at a club for two months or three months. He was, he was, uh, I don't think he was at any club longer than six months. Was that him signing on fee? Aye, and he had to, and he made up so many excuses that um, he left for this reason, that reason. But he was then always picked up by another club, um, and it was in the eighties, um, and it was all Brazilian Brazilian clubs. I'm trying to get the name here. Yeah, there it's there. Uh, Carlos Enrique Raposo. Okay. Uh, is his name commonly known as Carlos Kaiser, a Brazilian former footballer who played as a striker. Although his abilities were short of professional standard, he managed to sign for numerous teams during his decade-long career. That's <laughs> crazy. I've, never, yeah, I've got the book there, obviously, to read. Um, it's on my bookshelf again. It's one of those ones. It's a bit like my football documentaries and DVDs. I will get around to it eventually one day. Um, I'll start it and then I'll put it away and then I'll start another one and put it away. Um, I could never, I never finish it, but but uh, I'm more than certain that I read somewhere that they're they're going to make a a, a documentary um, about about that book. And I think another one again that's going to come out as a documentary. Well, I hope they make it as a documentary. It might be a film. Um, As a book I have read, as the great, the greatest footballer you never saw, which is about Robin Friday. Who, I think I've seen talk of that. Robin Friday who played for Cardiff and Reading in the late seventies, early eighties, and every single person said he was better than George Best. 
Um, but he had a lifestyle that was his equivalent of George Best, but probably worse. <laughs> uh, and uh, was off the rails. And his, his career never went any further than those two clubs. Um, and he died when he was 39, I think, drugs overdose or down and out. Right, um, okay. But Paulo, Paulo Hewitt, ex-Oasis, um, no, Paulo Hewitt is a, was a, a music journalist um, for NME. Um, he wrote the book alongside uh, McGuigan, uh, uh, who was the guitar, was the yep. drummer for Oasis. It was the two of them that collaborated together. I can't remember his first name now. Paul McGuigan. Paul McGuigan, um, aye. Aye, who was the drummer for Oasis? Was it him that was called Boney? No. Oh, Boney. Bone, uh, Bonehead. Right. Guitarist, right. isn't it, I think? I was like, aye, aye. Uh, the two of them collaborated, and the two of them, I think, are collaborating to make the film. Um, it's been in the pipeline for quite a while, but that's that's one that I would love to see if it does come out. Um, the book's the books obviously fantastic. So it is. Uh, so what are we voting for as the best documentary that we've the seen? Be- the best documentary I have seen for me um, I think it has to be Maradona. Maradona. Yeah, the Maradona the one, the recent one there that was brought out by Asif Kapadia. Uh, yeah. And then best film? Best we're film. Giving it to Damn United. Yeah. I think I just ahead I escaped the victory. <laughs> oh, that's fair enough. Um, so I think we've done well tonight. We've we've covered what's going on just now with football, and then we've gone down the nostalgia route again, which we're enjoying. Um, and it'll probably give us the the intrigue as well to go and watch more documentaries as well. You've spoken about, I've spoken about, a, a big massive list. I know. <laughs> as well, and the listeners as well. Hopefully as well, they'll go right. Okay, I don't know that one. I'll go and watch that and different things. I- like that. Does that mean? Hey, well, that's hopefully, yeah, exactly. Now, you don't want it to, um, it probably will, they'll end up being just because of the nature of the game and the way it is and now they'll be, and they're coming out more and more, um, there'll be a lot of bad ones. Uh, but hopefully the good ones, obviously, they'll, be, they'll end up making more and more and more and more because of the success, obviously, at the moment of the likes of the All or Nothing series. Yeah. Um, but there'll come a time where you'll be saturated. It'll be saturated, like, um, and it's picking the good ones out, the bad ones. Yep. Aye. A bit like reality TV when it was started back in the day. You are right. Aye. Was the drummer uh, Bonehead's Paul Arthur's? Was it right? Aye, right. Everyone just called him Bonehead. Um, I enjoyed that. That was good. Um, following on from us talking about the likes of Totty, and we mentioned some other guys that were one club main. That's a podcast we want to do at one point. Is one club main. Oh, that's a fascinating thing. And I think going now, the modern game, the way modern football is, how many one club men are we going to see? No. Forward? So, it's None. Be interesting. So, we'll, we'll cover that at some point. We'll testimonials. Do one, <laughs> we'll do one, one club men. I, I don't even think testimonials really happen as much now. No, they don't. I think the only way you get a testimonial now is if you have to retire through injury or you don't get for long service. Aye, but we'll, we'll no gee anything away because there is folk that there is in Scottish football particularly, but we might spread our wings a wee bit further and talk about some of the other ones um, in other na- nations as well. Yep. But cheers, Donald. That was good. Yep, cheers, John. Speak always. to you next time.
Cheers, listeners. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you.